All right, good morning. We are alive. That was entertaining, wasn't it? Happy New Year. It is good to see everyone. Um, I, uh, I hope you're recovering. I hope you had a good Christmas. I want to say thank you uh, for those of you that don't know me. My name is Eddie Cole, better known around here as Jessica's husband. And uh, I am my wife, Jessica's the uh, women's ministry director here. Oh, thank you. I'm really getting a lot of special attention today. Um, I, uh, my my uh, Christmas season and New Year's season was a little more eventful than normal. Uh, my daughter, my only child, was uh, married December the 28th. And so uh, you can imagine all the energy. Thank you. They are in Hawaii. And I have uh, made a commitment to not call or text them more than 12 times a day. And so far... I've done okay with that. Um, I will tell you that uh, we have been blessed, and, and I'm recovering. I hope you are as well. Uh, I On January the 1st, that morning, I'm an early bird, even on January the 1st. And so Jessica comes downstairs, and I see her, and I say, good morning and happy birthday. And she's like, happy birthday? Her birthday's August, 20, August the 12th. I meant happy new year. And uh, but that's just kind of where it is. It got better though. The next morning, she's uh, January the second. She's getting ready to come here to the church, back to the office, and I give her a hug and a kiss and uh, say, "Well, I love you. Good night." <laughs> it was eight thirty in the morning, and so. Uh, but that's what I say every night. So uh, obviously, I needed to to get a little recovery going, and and we've been able to do that. So I guess I was actually, really and truly, I'm just getting everything out of the way early on. That's the year 2019 is about not waiting. Death to procrastination. Happy birthday's already been said. And I'm saying good night in the morning. So anyway, with all that being said, I hope you've had a good one as well. I ended up 2018 with a, a really good month, not just because of Christmas uh, and my daughter's wedding, but also because I met a new friend up in Chicago in uh, Wheaton, Illinois, at the school, and um, he is a guy that has really just had a, an impact on me already. He was kind of just sharing some testimony and some story. He's been praying a prayer for quite some time. His prayer is that he would see God's stories, and by God's stories, what I mean is not those kind of stories where you can just, you know, say, man, God bless me so much. We got a great parking place and it was raining outside. That's great. Or I was running late to a meeting and I got three consecutive green lights. Those are great, but not those kind of God stories, but those kind of God stories where the effect of it is someone's life has been changed. And he said that he started a few years ago praying that he would get one of those every month. And he said over the time he's been praying that prayer, God was answering it. And so he just felt convicted of the Lord to start praying for one God story where a life was impacted, if not just outright changed, every week. The reason that he was praying this was he said he's, a, he's got a lot in common with me. He's a preacher uh, he goes to different places. He's been a pastor. And he said, I never want to be one of those people, one of those Christians that I have to tell someone else's story to be fresh. 
or I don't want to be like having to reach back 10 years in my own journey to tell something good God has done. I want to, I want to be able to pull something fresh out of the bag. This just happened. And he said, and I don't want to just you know, do that for the sake of preaching. I know that that's going to make an impact in my life. And he's, he went story after story after story. This guy's like probably four or five years younger than I am. And I, I just, I fell in love with the guy. I was like, I want to be like him when I grow up. In a purely heterosexual way, I fell in love with the guy. I, I really just felt my life, my heart uh, so impacted that my prayers are too vague. And I said, Lord, I want to live in such a way that very much like this brother, that I am seeing you do wonderful things in my life and in other people's lives. And I can tell a fresh story every week, not just because it's fascinating, but because I know if I do that, my, my spiritual antenna is going to be up and my heart's going to be drawn closer to you. And I'm going to be much more prone to be the Christian I'm supposed to be if I'm praying that prayer. So I'm praying for more God stories in 2019. That's my resolution. It's about the only one I've got. Now here's my question of you. Would you like to have more God stories in 2019? How many of you would like to have more God stories in 2019? Fantastic. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to take just a little while with you this morning and look at John chapter 4 and look at a God story. And this is a God story from a unique perspective. It's a unique perspective because God incarnate, being Jesus, God in flesh, is actually at the center of the story. He's in the story, but it's also his story. The cool thing about a God story is that when you find yourself in one, Essentially, it's kind of the happiest place to be. That's where you're like, you're amazed. You're like, that had to be God. And this is one of these moments where we find Jesus not only kind of in the center of the God story because of who he is, but he's enjoying it, savoring it for all he's worth, uh, for all the moment is worth, rather. Excuse me. And in it, and where we're going to pick up in John chapter 4, I want you to know that what we're going to be reading is kind of the tail end of the story. It's the part of the story where um, on the end of it, Jesus is basically telling his disciples who have left him and they've gone to get some food because they've been traveling around. They're tired. They're hungry. Jesus sends them in to get some food. They come back. Jesus is talking with this woman. And, and then eventually she leaves. And once she leaves, they begin engaging with Jesus. And then people start coming to talk with Jesus. And they're kind of confused about the situation they've walked up and found Jesus in. And so here is what happens in this story. It's a God story where we find Jesus in the middle of it. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, being Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper 
may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you didn't labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Would you just take a minute, bow your heads with me. And would you pray and ask God to speak with you very specifically. Not your neighbor, not the person sitting next to you. I'm going to ask you right now, I'm going to invite you right now, God, speak to my heart. Would you take just a minute and do that? I'm going to lead us in prayer, but you pray for yourself and ask the Lord to do what little Samuel did when he was a little boy, when he was taught how to pray. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you that you have something to say to each and every one of us today. You know that many of us in this room, Lord, we're still recovering from a wonderful, wonderful season. Lord, we've exchanged gifts. We've eaten a lot of food. We've visited. We've spent a lot of money. We've stayed up later than normal. We've eaten different food than we normally do, all these things. So, Lord, our bodies are weighing us down. So I ask that you would make our minds and our hearts light. Keep us awake by the power of your Spirit and the brightness of your word illumined off the page and into our hearts. Have your way in us so that we might see what you want to say to us today, Lord, because we're not here today just to do church. We're here today to hear from you and then to move in faith. And Lord, we'll give you praise for what you say. And and I pray that by your spirit, we would obey what you say to us. Come Holy Spirit now. Please, and do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Give us new life, restored faith. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been so satisfied in your life in a moment that you forgot to eat? I mean, what you see in this passage of Scripture right here is Jesus in one of those moments where They were all talking about being hungry, they're thirsty, they're tired. They've gone on a journey. They go off and they get the food, they come back, and they come back with the food, and now Jesus is basically just putting them off. The the passage begins with Jesus speaking with a woman, and I'm not exactly sure what happens in between, but then there's a time where they're kind of talking amongst themselves, and then there are other people that start coming, and then they start saying to Jesus, Jesus, we went to get you food like you've sent us to do. Eat. Of course, he's like, I have food to eat that you don't know about. What is he saying to them? He's saying to them, I've just had a moment. My heart is so full right now, I don't even, I don't even remember the fact that I'm hungry. How many of you are familiar with the term hangry? You're familiar, if not with that term, you're familiar with the Snickers bar commercials where Joe Pesci turns into uh, something else, or Danny DeVito, whoever that is, I can't remember. But you remember those, those moments in your life, maybe when you were a little kid, or maybe recently, where, where uh, you had been hungry, but then something happens, or uh, maybe according to your normal schedule, you should be hungry, but you're doing something that is keeping you from becoming hangry, which means... You're really not in a bad mood, but now you're hungry and your hunger has just turned into making you in a bad mood. That's what it means to be hangry. Well, the reality is Jesus is not hangry. Jesus is full. 
He's been waiting on them to bring him food, but he is not hangry. He's not even hungry anymore. He's saying, I'm so full from what just happened. And they're saying, well, did somebody bring him food? He says, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. I'm full because this is why I have come. I came from heaven to earth to do what I've just been doing. I was talking with that woman and these people who are coming. They are the very reason for my being here. They are the reason that I am alive here in this place. He's full. Have you ever been there before? I believe with all of my heart that when Christians are living in the moment where they are being used by the Lord, when they are being vessels for His glory, we can have those kind of moments where we can say with Jesus, my heart is full. I have food to eat that I, I don't even know where it comes from. I just know when I'm doing this, I am doing what I was put on the earth to do. Now, you may never have had that experience, and that's okay. I'm praying that you do. I'm not here to condemn you that you haven't. I'm here to invite you so that you can experience that same kind of thing. Well, Jesus was happy. Jesus was having a moment, and he goes with it, and he says, And guys, by the way, the same kind of joy that I'm having, I want you to know that the purpose that's brought me here and the joy that I have as a result of it, it's going to be the same for you. There's lift up your eyes because I've been sent. I'm doing what I was sent to do. And what they're going to find out later is this. Jesus is going to look at them and he's going to say, even as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And he says, look out there and you're going to see the field is white unto harvest. In other words, there are people who are desperate for the message that I've come to bring. There are people who are desperate for the life that I've come to offer. There are people who need what I've come to bring, and I'm very happy that I've not come, and there's going to be no fruit from my labors. There's, in fact, a lot of fruit out there. It's just waiting for someone to believe it and to act upon it. And when you do you're going to find your heart full. Now what in the world caused Jesus to get there? Let's look at this passage in John chapter 4. Look at it with me, and here's what I believe that we can draw from this. In John chapter 4, kind of commitments that you see very clearly in the life of Jesus, and I believe if we pick these up, you and I can have more God stories in 2019 as well. Now with that being said, the first commitment we're going to need to make is a commitment to live intentionally. If we're going to increase in God's stories in lives, in our lives, then we're going to need to be intentional about the way we live. Let's look at verse 1 of John 4. It says, Now when he learned, excuse me, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his, from his travel, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Now just so you'll know, that means in Roman time, 
the way they kept time. That would have been about noon. So here's the story. You may not be able to look at that and say, okay, I don't see any intentionality. Your point is we need to live intentionally. How do you get that from that? Let me explain really quickly. First and foremost, you see in the first couple of verses in John 4 that there's something going on with Pharisees. Pharisees are a group of people who are trying to live a righteous life and uh, they're, they're hoping that God's going to send a Messiah, a, a kind of a political national savior for the Jewish people. And that's going to happen because of the way they live. Now, some of them received John the Baptist and his preaching and others didn't. But later on, what we're going to find out is that most of the Pharisees rejected Jesus and many of them were responsible for Jesus essentially being turned over to be crucified. Now, Jesus, knowing that he's about to have conflict with the Pharisees, recognizes it's not time for that conflict to be had yet. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't move in cowardice to get away from them. He moves with intentionality. He, he determines in his mind, I'm going to leave Jerusalem, and I'm going to go up to Galilee, which is up in the northern part of Palestine. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Not only is Jesus moving to the north because he wants to escape the Pharisees, but there's something about the way that Jesus goes. If you look in verse 4, in John 4, you're going to see where it said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. I just want you to know something. Jesus didn't necessarily have to go through Samaria. Let me explain that to you. You see, the Samar that region called Samaria and where the Samaritans lived, they were oftentimes avoided. And there's a reason that they were avoided. Look at how they were avoided. Look at the map up on the screen. You're going to see Jesus and his disciples had been down around Jerusalem. Now, oftentimes what Jewish people would do back in those days is instead of going straight north from Jerusalem through Samaria, and there's that little spot on the map for Sikar, up to Nazareth or up to Galilee, they would go right. They would take a right, and they would go across the Jordan River. Then they would go north, and then they would go left back across the Jordan River. They would go way out of their way in order to avoid Samaria. But Jesus didn't do that. What's the story behind this? The Samaritans and the Jews had a lot of animosity between them at the time that we see Jesus alive. The reason for that is because the Samaritans were seen as blasphemers. They were seen as people who were less than by the Jews, and here's the reason why. You see, David had come, and David had established a kingdom for all 12 tribes of Israel. One kingdom, and the capital of that kingdom was Jerusalem. Now, after David was around, his son Solomon comes. Now, after Solomon, we have not just one kingdom, we have two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel makes its own capital. Remember, David made Jerusalem the capital, but now it's divided, and Israel, the northern kingdom, makes its own capital up around Samaria, and this, they build their own temple in, on Mount Gerizim. So what's happening is you have a southern kingdom for Judah with Jerusalem as its capital and Solomon's temple, which is where they saw as the holy place. 
all true Jews back in that day when, it, when the temple was built would see Jerusalem as very holy. But then the northern kingdom made their own temple. It kind of reminds me of the way some churches get started in America today. You see First Baptist Church, Second Baptist Church. You see First Evangelical Free Church, Second Evangelical Free Church. Why did that happen? Was God leading that every time? Not always. What we do know is that if you get any group of people together long enough, they will split. Why? Because they're people. They disagree, they divide. And that's what had happened in the kingdom. They had divided. They had different kings. They had different capitals. Here's the problem. In 722 B.C., Assyria invaded the northern kingdom. And when they did, they took a lot of the Jews out of the Samaritan region, out of the region of Samaria, and they brought in a bunch of Gentiles. And when they did that, it wasn't just that there was a mixed race now about to be formed. It's that the mixed race, when they came in, they brought in other religions. So now those who were Jewish and who these people in the kingdom, they were supposed to be the people through whom God would reveal his glory to the entire world. Had they been true and faithful, this is why Jesus is referred to as the true Israel in the New Testament, because Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. The whole nations of the world were to be blessed through his people, but they failed. And now there's a group of people, even within that kingdom, who have invited in other religions. And then they started syncretistic practices. Not only did they build another temple, they started bringing in other religions and they blended Judaism with other religions. And by the time Jesus comes around, please listen to this, you'll understand the animosity here. They have discarded everything in the Old Testament except the first five books of the Bible. So in the Jewish mind, they look at the Samaritans and say, these are not just people we don't like because of racial integration. They have blasphemed God. In other words, our people have become our enemy. So this is why most of the Jews alive in that day, they would go the long way around in order to skip Samaria. But if you notice, Jesus goes right into Samaria, goes right up to Sychar. Jesus was very intentional. Have I given you so much that I've put you to sleep or are you still awake? If you're still awake, say amen. If your neighbor didn't say amen, just poke them real fast and make sure they wake up. Be intentional like Jesus if you want to see more God stories. You see, where other people avoid, Jesus goes. Jesus was on mission, and he was on mission, and he allowed margin in his life for God the Father to lead him, to glorify him, being led of the Spirit to do so. Be on mission with margin. Live intentionally. That's what Jesus did. Jesus goes where other people don't want to go. Jesus loves other people who a lot of us church people don't naturally love if we're just being honest. He loves the other, those on the outside, those that talk differently, those that sound differently, those that are on the other side of the aisle, those that are on the other side of the planet. Etc., etc., etc. Jesus goes into that where others go out. If we want to see God's stories, we're going to have to follow Jesus intentionally into those places. We're going to have to go on mission. We're going to have to allow a little margin. 
Jesus went in there. He just allowed space for God to be God, glorified in Samaria. Do you have any space in your life for God to be glorified? Here's what I know. If we want to see God move in our life, we're going to have to allow for room, space. We're going, to, we're going to have to pay a cost of time, of energy, maybe money, maybe reputation, certainly of comfort. If you want a good definition for ministry, here it is. Ministry equals inconvenience. Because why do I say that? Because ministry itself means that I'm giving up my comfort to care for the needs of another. And that's what Jesus did. That's what his whole life was about. And he did it very intentionally. And he goes into the dark place because above and beyond everything else, he's on mission with God. For the sake of time, let's just keep moving here. And let's read a little bit more. There's another commitment that I want you to make, a commitment to meaningfully engage in people's lives. The second commitment is to meaningfully engage in people's lives. We just have to read this one to see what's going on here. Verse 7, a woman came from Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Which if I can just pause for just a second, the male-female dynamic here, that's a line that wouldn't have been crossed there. He says to this woman who is out there at noontime at this well, give me a drink. And the reason he did it, verse 8 says, is the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman then says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I just want to pause right there and just say, if you were to look at another translation, another way of looking at that is to see this. Jews do not use the same utensils as Samaritans. For in doing so, they become unclean. R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite people who is now in heaven, he says he thought it was a terrible translation. He wished it would have been more explicit there. It's not just that they have no dealings. Jesus, had he been a normal Jewish man, would not be using the same utensil, the same water pot that this woman was using. For in doing so, it would have made him dirty. But not Jesus. That's not how Jesus saw it. Verse 10, Jesus answers her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. But Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Love that verse. The woman says to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, when you're reading through this, when I read through this, I'm pretty sure 
that's been in the Bible for all the years I've been a Christian. I don't think that got inserted this past week. But the last part of verse 15 jumped out at me this week in such a profound and personal way. I thought, man, who snuck that in there? Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. There's something about her saying, I don't want to be here. In that moment, I want you to know that what Jesus has done is he has engaged this woman. He's spoken to her to provoke conversation, but he's watching her. He knows that she shouldn't be at that well at noontime. They go at the beginning of the day to do that. And as he's listening to her, she now exposes a little bit of herself, a little bit of her shame. A little bit of the inconvenience, a little bit of the pain in her life. Are you hearing me? She's exposing herself. I don't want to be here at noon in the afternoon, and yet I'm here. If you give me that water, maybe I won't have to come. Wow. I looked at that this week, and I was like, when did that get in there? Jesus listened to her. He looked at her. He saw her. He looked in her eyes. I wonder if when he was talking to her, maybe her head didn't just drop. I wonder if he just didn't look and see something in her. But from that moment, this thing changes. Now he gets real personal. He says to her, go and call your husband and come here. This is where the God hat comes on. He never took it off. I hope you know that. But this is where Jesus, being Jesus, can say and do things you and I don't have the capacity to do. He says, go and call your husband to come here. The woman says, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and one you have now is not your husband. So what you've said is true. The woman says to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. If you notice what she's doing here is kind of a little pushback. He just got real personal with her. He saw her. She's doing the initial kind of a, it feels like to me when I'm reading it, almost an initial, oh gosh, this is getting real close, kind of a reaction. In verse 21, Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, this is Jesus tearing down the barrier and building a bridge. Watch this. Believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. He's just given her an invitation. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. He's saying it's not being Jew or, or Samaritan. It's not about either way. Whoever's going to worship God is going to worship Him in spirit and in truth wherever they are. And the woman says, Oh, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am He. 
It's not about you going to God. God has just come to you. Wow. This just gets my heart so deeply when I see this because I just think this is what the people in the world that we live in need so desperately. They need to see in you and in, and in me. They, they need to see more than the clothes we wear. They need to see Jesus. They need to see not just our intelligence, our productivity, the outcome of our jobs or our school. They need to see Jesus. They need to see that God has come to them. The way that this woman saw something in Jesus is because a Jew crossed every line. He crossed every barrier, the male-female barrier, the doctrinal barrier. He crossed the moral barrier. She's there in the afternoon because she's an outcast. She's not even comfortable among her own people. Not because she's a Samaritan, but because she's a sinner. She's not comfortable. That's the way she's perceived. But then God is here and God is saying, no, you're the very reason I've come. I don't want you to be uncomfortable. I am here and out of everybody in the region, I have come, my dear precious woman, to talk to you. Ladies and gentlemen in this room, I just want you to know something. If you know Jesus already, you ought to just be in awe that the God of this universe has come to speak to you. You're fallen and you're broken and you're messed up far more than you care to imagine. Think about you on your worst day. Multiply that times a hundred and then you'll begin to understand just how bad you really are. Because everything that you do, everything that you say, it's all been tainted with sin. Same thing with me. Our sin is all over everything that we do. We are worse than we imagine because our very DNA is affected with the sin of our forefather Adam. My very motives are messed up, which is why in the Old Testament we're told that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Even my very best is bad. It's tainted with me. Same thing for you. And yet the God of this universe would look at you and look at me and say, and nevertheless... I'm here for you. You're not incidental. You're the very reason I've come. Wow. We're a room full of people like the woman at the well who've heard from Jesus, I'm here for you. Last thing I want to say, number three, commitment. Commitment to live intentionally will help you have more God stories. A commitment to meaningfully engage people like Jesus did this woman will help you have more God stories. And thirdly, inviting people to know Jesus will allow you to have more God stories this year. It's not enough to just live the life. It's not enough to say, I've had my life changed. That's just where it begins. We want to live a life that commends the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to love people. We want to be giving. We want to be intentional. We want to live a life on mission. We want to live a life that is different, that is not religious, but a life that is connected to a holy and a loving God. And we want to live in such a way that makes people scratch their heads and say, why are you the way you are?
And then when they do, we say it's because of Jesus. And I want to tell you, we have to essentially get them to Jesus because we can share, but only Jesus saves. We share, Jesus saves. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage some of you. You've been living a life, and you're patting yourself on the back because you're living a life, but you've never led anyone to Jesus. Might I just encourage you? Start talking about Him. Maybe people are wondering... And maybe if you start inviting people to know him, maybe you'll see some people start giving their lives to him. Cross that line. Have that conversation and watch what God does. I want to close with this. If our ushers want to go ahead, the servers want to go ahead and get ready for communion. I want to close by talking with you about my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is a pastor She's a pastor of a grocery store called Harris Teeter in Chesapeake, Virginia. She goes in there every single day, and she knows everybody in there. She knows them by name. She looks at them. She listens to them. She asks them questions. She prays with them. She has meaningful engagement with them. They would do just about anything for Miss Prissy. That's her name, Prissy. She goes there every day. Can I just tell you, she has a brand new, very large refrigerator that is stocked. She has cabinets full of stuff in her, uh, you know, I mean, that you can eat. There's not typically that much of a need for food. She still gets dressed, and she does not leave the house a mess. She gets dressed, gets herself ready, and goes to the grocery store, and she goes in there for one main purpose. The food is secondary. She goes in there because of the people. It's so funny. She knows them all. This past Christmas, her, my father-in-law asked a question. He, he, did, he didn't get something from the grocery store. And I heard her say to him, well, why didn't you ask, I'm going to say Bill. Why didn't you ask Bill where it was? And he said, who's Bill? And she said, he's the butcher. And, she's, and my father-in-law says, why would I ask the butcher where I'm looking for something that's a baking need? She said, because Bill is the best butcher in the world, and Bill knows where everything in that grocery store is. And Bart's like, how in the world do I know to ask Bill about bakery needs? She's like, because I've told you about Bill before. And this could just go on and on and on. There's no way that Bart's going to know because Bart's wired like me. I go into a grocery store to get what I want to get and get out. She goes in to do ministry. She gets what she wants to get, and I'm very thankful for it. But she gets what she wants to get, and she lingers. She looks at people. She talks to them. She prays with them. They come to her for prayer needs. I just wonder what your Harris Teeter is. It may be your workplace. It may be your school. It may be your neighbor's. I wonder what your Harris Teeter is. I wonder what you're supposed to be the pastor of. I just want you to know this. Even as Jesus was sent by the Father to reconcile man back to himself, he has sent me and you who call ourselves Christians to do the same. May we be busy in 2019 doing that. Are you with me? 
I want you to think right now, where is your mission field? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? There may be some who are here this morning who are in a place where you've never received Jesus. You've never heard. I want you to know Jesus left heaven for you. He came for you that you might have life. What you do is you recognize your own need, your desperation for a Savior, and you call out to Jesus. And here's what I'll tell you. He's wonderful. He'll come into your heart by His Spirit. He'll give you forgiveness. He'll give you new life and a new beginning. He'll give you purpose and He'll give you joy. Call out to Him right now. Call out to Christ. Call out to Him. Confess your need and leave with your heart full. Give Him your sin, your brokenness, your addiction, your guilt, your shame. Give it all to Him. He wants it. What He's going to give you in return is His righteousness, His love, His forgiveness. Give it to Him now. Father, I pray as we prepare ourselves for communion that you would just have your way in our hearts as we remember that Jesus made the way for us to have eternity in heaven, for us to have peace with you. It's all because of Jesus. May we taste right now and see the Lord is good. In Jesus' name, amen.